This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Joining me is uh, one of the leading football commentators out of Africa, uh, Dwayne DeLocker. Uh, hello to you, sir. How are you? Oh, Ricardo, I'm great, thank you. How are you? Great to chat to you again. Yeah, it's been a long time, my friend. It's been a long time. It's uh, it's good to chat. I know you've you've relocated. Uh, we're no longer talking to you out of South Africa. We're talking to you out of Europe now. But uh, it's great to reconnect. And I I know you've been all eyes on on the uh, the World Cup. And I know your passion for African football. Uh, you have been there. You've called the Afcons. You've called the African Champions League. You've called it all. And it must be very pleasing for you, even though they're not South Africa. Uh, but for Morocco to be the fourth country out of your continent to make the uh, quarterfinals of a World Cup. Yeah, huge pride about that. I think uh, a f- phenomenal achievement from this Moroccan outfit. Uh, I don't think it's a fluke that they managed to overcome Spain, albeit on penalties, to advance to the final eight of the tournament. But uh, what what an achievement it is. I mean, we're talking about the final eight of the world's most prestigious football tournament and Morocco are there. But it's it's a deliberate plan that this country has had for years now. They They got themselves into a position in 2009 where they sat down and said, we need to start making making a little more of our football. And they put together a plan that saw them launch everything from two women's professional leagues right the way through to upgrading facilities for clubs and having a national setup in uh, in, in Rabat, the, the capital city. What a remarkable academy and indeed practice facilities they have at the Mohammed VI complex. And, and all these things are starting to bear fruit now. I mean, we died Casablanca, the reigning African champions in the men's game. Uh, Royal Armed Forces are the reigning African champions in the women's game. Morocco's women's team have qualified for the FIFA Women's World Cup for the first time. Um, even the five-a-side football in, in, at the Paralympic Games ended up meddling the last time around with the bronze medal for the first time in history. So what I'm saying is there's been a very deliberate attempt from Morocco to get themselves into a position where they can compete and be among the best in the world. Their world ranking has been steadily rising. They're just outside the world's top 20. And now they find themselves into the final eight and up against some tough competition in uh, in uh, Portugal in the quarterfinals. But I tell you, I think the side has got a lot of confidence behind them. It's five games now in succession across World Cups that they have gone unbeaten and four in this game, in this tournament. And they've never trailed in this tournament. They've only conceded one goal and that was an own goal against Canada after they were already two goals in front. I think it's been a remarkable performance. And Wally Dragagri, I know I'm carrying on a little bit about Morocco here. You could potentially uh, hear the excitement. But Wally Dragagri, this is a coach who was put in charge with less than 100 days to go to the World Cup. But somebody who had already won titles with Rabat, went over to Qatar, won title with Al Duhel, and then went on and won double Champions League and league honours with uh, Widad Casablanca. So he's Definitely somebody who is uh, well-primed to take over the national team. And the players trust him. And he has turned things around logistically for Morocco as well. He's allowed the families to come and stay with the team in the World Cup facilities in Qatar. And it's just allowed the players to relax. It's about understanding your players and managing them as individuals, not just as players. 
and look at the results. You can't argue with them. It's not only uh, Hakim Ziyech, who just about everybody talks about. It's the entire team from development players like Nayef Aguer, the defender, who's been one of the most outstanding players at this tournament. So absolute kudos to Morocco. Yeah, absolute kudos. I mean, you know, we know some of those names, you know, you you mentioned. I mean, Elias Chair has been tearing it up for QPR in the championship. He's been linked to, to Premier League clubs. you got Hakim Ziyech. I know it's not going particularly well for him at Chelsea at the moment, but he's been linked to other clubs, AC Milan being one of them. Uh, probably the biggest star, and I don't know how often this happens, that the biggest star in a team is the right fullback. But, you know, um, Hakimi, who is at, at PSG, they, they have some great players. But as you mentioned, the coach... 100 days out, he takes over. And I know you're South African, and I know we're talking the round ball code, but it does have echoes of Rossi Erasmus, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose it does. Uh, heir to the throne of Rossi Erasmus, heir to the throne in Walid Regagui. Yes, absolutely. I think you can draw comparisons between the, the rugby of South Africa there and indeed uh, Regagui. Regardless of whether or not they advance beyond the quarterfinal stage, it's it's just been a remarkable achievement. And he's, he's taken Morocco to absolute heights with very little time. And it's, as I say, logistically, he's, he's just allowed them a lot more freedoms as players, and he's managed them so incredibly well as as individuals. Um, and different players need different things. So he hasn't just lumped everyone together, and I think that's part of the secret as well, is he genuinely is a man manager who's known to turn things around for teams. When he took over Rabat, they were nothing more than a mid-table team. Within a season, he had taken them to become champions in Morocco against some of the big clubs, the Rajas and the Widads of this world, and then took a, a, a Widad side that had a band full of egos and, uh, and, and turned it into a, a winning team once again, and not just a winning team in Morocco, a winning team in the Champions League on more than one occasion. So, yeah, ab- absolute remarkable uh, turnaround, but he's thoroughly deserving of the credit he's getting at the moment. And this is a Moroccan team, I think. I know it's Portugal, right? We saw what Portugal did to Switzerland. But I think you look at Morocco and the way that they set up, they are a very hard team to break down. And and I don't think this is a blip. I mean, you look at those strong players that we talk about and they've got another World Cup in them. You know, uh, Hakimi will be 28 next World Cup. Ziyech will be 33 next World Cup. Elias Chair will be 29 next World Cup. I mean, we should see Morocco uh, in the US, shouldn't we, in 2026? Well, you'd like to think so. Um, you'd like to see the transition made from one uh, to another. I mean, what you want to do is you want to see like Nigeria in 94 and then subsequently following it up in 98, the way they did that. Uh, in terms of African pride, that is always remarkable. But uh, what we haven't seen is, is is any real follow-up outside of that from an African team perspective. Cameroon, Ghana, Senegal, they're all sides that have reached the, the, the quarterfinal stages, but they haven't really come close since uh, with, with, with their performances. And I think that's something that we'd really like to see is 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 the transition, keep it going and 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 keep the continuity going across a four-year period or, or even even more than that. Um, but I think for Morocco, you, you just spot on, yes, they've got a good blend of youth and experience, but there is plenty of youth that is being used by Walid Rigagri. And that, that, that back four uh, with uh, with Saez, Sagerd, uh, Mazraoui and Hakimi, I think I think could still be around for the next World Cup, and and that's that's where the strength lies. I mean, defensively they've been absolutely outstanding. Those those back four and goalkeeper Yasin Bonu uh, have been utterly remarkable in their performances so far. 
Yeah, and it, it did tickle me a little bit to see. I, don't, I can't remember. I think it might have been Rodri from Spain saying they did nothing. They played no football. They sat in and they tried to just play us on the counter. It's like you look at the Spanish statistics from 120 minutes. They had two shots. It's like, hang on, glasses, yeah. uh, stone, stones. You know, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they didn't allow Spain to play in many ways. But, you know, it, it, you don't. You don't need to play pretty football to win. And football is about getting the result. It's not about playing uh, a pretty football. And I think that's something that Morocco have made clear as well. They can play very wide, expansive uh, football. But if you're about to take Spain on playing a wide, expansive, high-tempo game, you're not going to win that game. So tactically, Rigogli got his uh, tactics absolutely spot on. And I didn't think it was a, a, a dull affair to watch. But uh, yes, they stunned Spain. And, and I think some of the, the comments have been, from a Spanish perspective, uh, a little unjust. But uh, but you can understand the, the heartache for Spain as well. I mean, they, they're needing to find some excuses here because they lost to a side that put them to the sword and and defeated all their tactics. Yeah, a thousand penalties did them no good in practice. That's for sure, Dwayne. Um, <laughs> now we should. I, I will ask you about quarterfinal predictions momentarily, but I wanted to ask you about Samuel Eto, one of the biggest stars mm. in African football history. Uh, he is a, a senior figure with the Cameroonian FA. He, you know, he was a star at Barcelona. He was a star in Serie A. Uh, I've seen the footage. He assaulted a blogger outside the game after Brazil. I've watched the footage. My personal opinion. I probably would have kicked him in the face as well because the guy was definitely trying to provoke him, trying to get a reaction, but I'm not Samuel Eto. So, you know, I know he is, he has apologized for, for, for what happened, but can you give us some background? Yeah. Why is this Algerian blogger telling Eto he's a cheat, he's corrupt, he's bribing referees? Uh, this goes back to, to the World Cup qualifying matches between uh, Cameroon and Algeria, the second leg where Cameroon scored late, claimed a 2-1 win and found themselves booking their ticket to uh, to Qatar ahead of Algeria as a result of that late goal. And the referee at the centre is Bakari Gassama, who's regarded as, as one of the finest in, 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 on the continent and somebody who's who's at the World Cup. He's, he's a very well-respected individual and FIFA waved away any, any of the protests that Algeria made and certainly uh, haven't agreed or found any merits in the argument that Algeria have put forward saying that Cameroon cheated or had the referee on their side uh, in getting the result that they needed to qualify for the World Cup. And in Algeria, it has been a, it's been a source of, of great disappointment and great anger because they feel that they were cheated out of a place in Qatar 2022. So to see the video and to see the, the taunting going on and trying to get a reaction from the the man who is a legend and now the, the, the football federation president in, in Cameroon. Um, uh, was I surprised by his reaction? Yes, I was. Uh, he has come out and apologized, as you said, but um, he's not a violent man. I've spent so much time with uh, Samuel Eto over the years, and he is one of the nicest, friendliest, most down-to-earth individuals. But he is incredibly passionate about Cameroonian football, and I think it, it cut him to, to the core to hear this again. There is no basis that Cameroon were cheating or that the referee was cheating. It's a result that didn't go Algeria's way. And and one of the things that I think many Cameroonians want to want to stop is this constant taunting to suggest that they are cheats, and they're not. Do you think this stung Algeria more because their near North African neighbours and rivals, Morocco and Tunisia, both qualified? 
It might have done. Um, I can't really say for sure on that, but but Algeria have an incredibly proud history of, of football. The other thing that you've got to remember is until very recently, they were on an unbeaten run of nearly 40 matches, um, which which ended very suddenly and very abruptly at the Africa Cup of Nations, where they were soundly thumped uh, by, by a couple of sides and dumped out early in the competition. Um, this is a side that had so much hope of going to the World Cup because the team was on such a rampant run, had been impressing for the last three or four years. This is a side that almost felt they deserved to be there. But you could have the same argument with Egypt, um, who went out on penalties to Senegal uh, in, in the qualifying rounds and lost to Senegal on penalties in the Africa Cup of Nations final as well. So did it sting? Did it hurt um, a little more that the neighbours qualified? I'm not entirely sure, but it definitely stung and hurt that they weren't there because of the weight of expectation on the shoulders of the the, uh, the Algerians. Yeah, well, I wish it was Samuel Leto all the best, and I hope that uh, you know the Qatari authorities look at the video before they make any judgment, uh, and that he is he, he is okay and uh, and can continue to enjoy the World Cup. Uh, I, I need to talk to you. At, uh, Dwayne, about quarterfinals. I mean, you know, we've talked yeah. about Morocco and you look at, you talk about the teams of the quarterfinals. We've got the Netherlands against Argentina. We've got England against France. We have Croatia. Last time they ran a World Cup, they were the finalists against the favourites, Brazil. And then Portugal, of course, the story Portuguese team with Morocco. There's one team that does stand out when you read out that list, isn't there? Well, for me, um, there, there are two teams that stand out, and the one is uh, Morocco for, uh, for for being the last Arab representative, the only African representative. But of course, uh, my, my heart is lying with Morocco. I can't lie. Um, uh, but 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 for me, uh, Brazil stands out as being as being the one to watch. This is a side that has perhaps underperformed in their performances, but the quality and potential that they possess, nobody can match. Nobody can match on the pitch. Putting in the performances, I think France is the team to to watch. France and England, when England clicked against Senegal, they looked formidable. But for the first 35 minutes of their round of 16 tie, they looked like they were under the cosh by a Senegal side that were missing some of their biggest stars. Cheikh Kouyate wasn't there. Sadio Mane wasn't there. Uh, Idrissa Gay wasn't there. Uh, so... Is the England side that played in the first half going to pitch up against uh, France or is the England side that played in the second half going to pitch up against France? If it's if the is the case and Harry Kane comes to the game and is involved in the uh, the game, I think it is going to be a very intense affair. And Honestly, may the best team win between England and France. I'm really looking forward to that, though. But Brazil against Croatia, yeah, Croatia, never count them out. Absolutely never count them out. Perisic, uh, Brozovic, uh, uh, Modric, all these players are, are absolute winners in their own right. But you're up against a Brazilian side that is just too fleet of foot at the moment. And I think absolute quality. Um, the the Portugal-Morocco one is, is fascinating in the sense that Morocco have conceded one goal in four games and it was an own goal. And Portugal scored six goals in just their last game alone. And Gonzalo Ramos starting up front in place of Cristiano Ronaldo was benched for the first time in a major tournament since 2008. Uh, I, wow, who's going to come out on top in, in, in that game? That is going to be fascinating. And then Netherlands against Argentina, both those teams capable of winning this World Cup. You can't argue that neither of them are, are not capable of winning the World Cup. 
Netherlands playing better potentially as a team. Argentina relying perhaps a little too much on Lionel Messi, but boy, has he come to the fore of this tournament and looking remarkable, even though he's in the twilight of his career. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Uh, Dwayne, this is how I see it. Let me know what you think. I mean, the, the Netherlands-Argentina is the game that I think is most likely to go to extra time and penalties. I, I would I would concur with that because I, I'm finding it very difficult to separate those sides at the moment, yes. Yes. Uh, England, I think they have a better midfield than France do, given that France don't, don't have N'Golo Kante or, or Paul Pogba, but they do have yeah. a guy called Mbappe who has reached 250 senior goals faster than either Messi or Ronaldo did and uh, is a generational talent. So I think France get the win there. Yeah, look, I think if you if you look at France, the way they've played on the whole, and, and you look at the individual brilliance of somebody like Kylian Mbappe, as you say, and I apologize for the sound in the background. My son <laughs> has decided to break into the room. But uh, Kylian Mbappe, I mean, look, this guy scored uh, nine FIFA World Cup goals in, in only his second World Cup. He's got the potential to go to five. I mean, he's scored as many World Cup goals as Lionel Messi has in his entire career. And he's scored one more than Cristiano Ronaldo, who scored in five World Cups. And Mbappe is only in his second World Cup. Another seven goals in the next three World Cups, for example, and he'll be leading record scorer at, at World Cups in, in history. It's remarkable to think. Yes, we're putting too much pressure perhaps on one individual who's, who's still relatively young, but he's a World Cup winner. And France know what it takes to get to the World Cup final. They know what it takes to win. I think experience has shown in the round of 16, the teams that have been there and done it in major competitions largely have gotten through. And I think uh, again it might tell, but don't discount this England side. But I'm 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 with you on giving it to France in terms of edging edging England in this uh, quarterfinal tie. The Croatian midfield is probably the best at this World Cup, but they've done a lot of running. Uh, Brozovic, 16.8 kilometres against Japan, the most ever in a World Cup since they've been recording those statistics. Dwayne, yeah. uh, I I I think. If you want a smoky, Croatia to hold it to a draw at 90 minutes, but I think Brazil just have too much. And Neymar is a different player. I didn't used to like Neymar as a young player. Feels like he's really matured and he's really leading this team and it's not all about him. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think spot on there. But the one player that I think is key in, in determining the, the outcome of this game is, is going to be Casemiro. Casemiro in midfield has been absolutely superb in breaking down play. And I want to see how... Croatia managed to get beyond Casemiro, who wins the ball, who drives play wide, who doesn't allow teams to cross into the Brazilian half. I mean, these are all attributes that that go on and help people win World Cups, help sides win World Cups. And it was uh, uh, Gilberto Silva played that role in 2002 when Brazil won the World Cup. And it was because Gilberto Silva was doing all the dirty work quietly uh, nobody was able to really go beyond him. That there was a freedom allowed to certain individuals like Ronaldo up front, who, who saw Brazil to success at this World Cup. And I'm I'm seeing a lot of similarities for me between the 2002 squad and the 2022 squad. When you look at the key men in key positions, and for me, Casemiro and and and. Uh, uh, Gilberto Silva, in many ways, are playing a very similar role, and yeah, I, I'm not sure Croatia is going to be able to deal with with Casemiro plus the attacking flair and talent of of Brazil combined. 
My, lastly, and I know I, I don't want to hurt your feelings, Dwayne, because I know you're a proud African and you want to see Morocco <laughs> go as far as they can. But it, it felt to me after extra time penalties, maybe Morocco have played the World Cup and we've seen Portugal find a new level without Cristiano Ronaldo on the pitch. I just think they'll have too much. Well, this is an interesting one because which Portugal is going to pitch up? Is this the Portugal that's, that, that battles to score goals and, and, and struggles to score goals in, in the... Uh, in the uh, the European Championship, for example, or, or the one that scores six against Switzerland. Um, I don't believe that Morocco is going to play the type of game that will allow Portugal that much freedom and space and opportunity to score as they did against Switzerland, who are happy to take on the Portuguese, and I think foolishly so. Uh, I think we're going to see a different result. I think it's going to be a, a very tight uh, affair uh, Yes, if if I take my heart out of this and I look at it off the top of my head, maybe Morocco has gone as far as they can go, but I still think they're in with a chance. Uh, they've they've got a couple of goal scorers who can come in and make things happen. And I think Nesri wants to get on on the score sheet again. Um, Amrabat and Bufal have been astonishingly good, as has the defence and Yassin Bono. The other thing is Regagui is not going to allow the players to celebrate. They can celebrate the victory and and then they, they're back to the drawing board. They're back to the serious business. I don't think they celebrate the wins the way that other teams might, having reached a, a climax or something. But whatever the result, um, I don't think it's going to be anything close to a 6-1 a six, a six type of uh, type of affair. I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be fairly fairly close isn't it, between these two sides. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, and, and I look forward to it. The uh, quarterfinals are intriguing indeed. Dwayne DeLocker, thank you very much for your time, my friend. Go well and uh, lovely catching up with you. Ricardo, it's been great to chat to you again. Thank you.